This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Welcome back, Art of War family. We're here with Lawrence Baker to discuss Grey Knights after his undefeated run through a 100-person tournament somewhere in the UK. Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> I don't know exactly where. Um, we're going to jump in and talk about matchups. And uh, as we, we always like to say here at the Art of War, the devil is in the details. So this will be an interesting discussion. Um, Nick Nanavati is joining us, my co-host. He is an all-world player, and so he's going to help us with Lawrence break down what's going on. Nick, what, what do you think is a good matchup to start with? I don't know. So, so Grey Knights are really interesting. They're very new to the scene. I mean, they've obviously been out for a while, but functionally, they just got their first codex is how right. I look at it. Um, right. let's, let's open up to Lawrence. Lawrence, what do you think are matchups that give you trouble, or what style of lists give you trouble? Yeah, uh, good question. So uh, one thing I will say about the Grey Knights, just before we get into the specific matchups, and it's kind of just off of my fresh experience from this GT uh, in Bournemouth, it, they weren't particular. It could be that because it was my own rust, it could be that, you know, perhaps I hadn't picked the best secondaries every time, but I don't feel that that was the case. I'm going to blow my own trumpet a little bit here. I thought I played pretty well, <laughs> you know, but I, it wasn't a high-scoring army. You know, like I wasn't getting a big 42-point win. So I wasn't getting 36 points. I got a couple of bigger scores, but it was like it was kind of a, a slow build, a slow burn army, if you like. And so yeah. matchup-wise, because I tended, weirdly, to use the same tactic in every... And I actually played, I was fortunate enough to play six different, very different armies. So I did get quite a bit of experience um, across different factions. Um, it tended to be that I'd use the same tactics um, every time. Uh, and as a result, I'd get similar scores every time. Um, so matchup wise, obviously my favorite matchup will be something like demons or something which has a, a high number of demon keyword targets. So, you know, that could be start there and just kind of go through yeah. chaos on your elder and your space range. Just go to like that since you, you know, it's relatively new. So how do you approach these different games? Let's cool. So that uh, sounds, sounds great. So, um, I can even, I can even liken it to the actual matchups I had. So game five, uh, sorry, game six, the final game. Um, weirdly, of the Bournemouth GT was against the Possessed Bomb, the Alpha Legion Possessed Bomb. Um, so is that's... This, is Chaos a, as easy of a matchup for Grey Knights, or is Grey Knights so insurmountable as everyone assumes? I, he, I, it's not something it was impossible for him to win, don't get me wrong, but it was an uphill struggle, man. It really, really was. Like He had, he had the appropriate number of screening via cultists and poxwalkers, hmm. um, and he had his uh, Supreme Command detachment, Cult of Prophecy, etc., although that's now subsequently been FAQ'd. But uh, he had Which Cult of Magic, actually, sorry. Um, Cult of Magic, okay, yeah. Yeah, he had Cult of Magic. I did play a Cult of Prophecy guy as well with Knights, but that's been that's been FAQ'd now. Um, but, uh, you know, he had the Supreme Commands, Araman, Princes, usual suspects, and he had the big Possessed Bomb. But the reality was, as well as the three-play burst crawlers, that once that screen's gone, 
I'm doing four damage smites to you. And because I can actually end up getting a plus two to cast, because I can do an aura with Sanctic Shards on my um, Librarian, he's got a plus one to cast anyway. He's Grey Knight, so he's another plus one to cast. So you get a quick power off on him. And then what you do is you then use a new stratagem, which gives you a plus one to cast in an aura for one CP. So you can really hammer those smites home. And despite the thousands of Unless you roll double ones, you are passing. Exactly. You know, and it's quite hard to deny when I've got those bonuses, right? right? You're not denying anything. Exactly. So it's just, you know, what do you do against such such your insurmountable power. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, you're always, it's so unbalanced against demons. It's insane. I, demon actually, King is, um, I do think it's too much. Grey Knights against demons right now is too much. You've obviously got the court, the strat if you're a, um, a pure demons unit to to bring a, a big blob back. But I, I find the Grey Knights kill them so quickly that it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Uh, How absurd is that? It's like I can bring back 200 points every single turn infinitely. Mm. Mm. And you know, like, okay, like just I'll still just kill that. Also, like, it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. Well, let's, um, let's let's talk about some tactics in that that chaos matchup. Then, would you sure. ever consider combat squatting your paladins for more smites? Yeah. Look, um, it is something I have considered, and I nearly did it. Funnily enough, in that matchup, that is something I nearly did. I decided against it in the end, um, and then this will lead on very nicely to. Uh, to something that Nick brought up in the first half of the show that we did was how do you combat something which is just such a nasty assault unit, you know, be it a possessed bomb, be it uh, assault centurions, and they charge your paladins. Um, so what I decided to do is I did decide to keep the 10-man blob, and I did slingshot forward um, one of the paladin bobs, as I, as I did in every game, guys. That's what I did. Um, and I used that blob and my rear blob to just try and remove as much of the screen as possible, to set him up, really, for the turn two smites. Now, here's the thing. I wasn't playing uh, a bad player. He knew exactly what to do. Um, he had his possessed bomb ready to counter if I came near him. Uh, and I knew that he was going to charge me with that possessed bomb and that I wasn't going to be able to get smites off against it turn one so i knew that i was wearing that right here's the thing and this is where it gets really nasty he starts powering up his possessed bomb it's his turn i've removed his screen he's like well that's fine i've got my possessed bomb i'm going to charge those paladins and he's going to lose his blob turn one my turn one it's going to be awesome unfortunately <laughs> you know i've got hammer hand on this unit right now I've buffed them up, and uh, there's a power, a new stratagem um, from the uh, Ritual of the Damned, which is called Masters of Combat. It's 2 CP. Basically, what it allows you to do on that Grey Knight's Paladin squad is fight even when you're killed. So yeah. he charges me with the, the um, Possessed Bomb, but I was willing this is the crazy thing. I don't know, you might think I'm mad. I was willing to lose those 10 Paladins because I saw it. I see it as like a game of chess, right? I'm, I can afford to lose that big blob, but you can't afford to lose yours because I've right. still it's, got... It's basically, blob. you have two queens and he has one queen. You, know, right. you, can, you can trade one queen for one queen because you still have a queen. Exactly right. And so that's exactly what I did. And he was like, because he thought I was going to go, oh, well, I'm going to use the strat for like minus one damage or I'll put transhuman on. I was like, no, no, go for it. He's like, huh? <laughs> I went, yes, yeah, cool. You kill me, but I'm now hitting you back. And, you know, I'm Grey Knights. You've got the demon keyword. I'm rerolling all my wounds against you. Uh, it was just nasty. And so, and, you um, know, that, that's a very similar tactic to one I employed back when I was playing Gene Circle. I had two big units of Aberrants. Right. Those were the Death Stars back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
And like the first one, I would just trade for all of your screens. I would just send it out there, kill all of your screens, and wrap something. Yep. And then when you when you swing back into me with your counter charge, I would pop the same thing. Fight when I die, my aberrants would die. I'd bring you down with me, and then I'd still have the second unit of aberrants lying in the back, and you're out of stuff. Yeah. to deal with it. So it's Powerful. very simple tactic. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. So that was my that was my little trick. You know, like if I had worked great against a possessed bomb, but would work great against any nasty assault unit which uh, they're holding back deliberately to try and stop you coming near them um so yeah that was that was the trick question um can they bring possessed back with that strat no it's only codex demon stuff only codex demon stuff yeah. oh man yeah um interesting so do you think there's any viable chaos archetypes out there that can give your army some trouble yeah uh, yeah, go ahead. There is. I mean, like, let's let's face it. Chaos knights are still a bit of a problem for for great knights because um, they don't have the demon keyword, you know. Um, and knights still for great knights in general, especially if there's multiple of them, can potentially be a problem. You know, there's only if they've got screening as well, and I can't get those smites off early enough. It, I did play. Uh, in my first matchup, three Chaos Knights. Now, he was using the Court of Prophecy um, for that free reroll, um, but it, it proved to be, yeah, cagey, tough game. You know, like I did kill two of the Knights in the end, but it wasn't it wasn't easy. And uh, there always was that threat with their firepower and the fact that they can, um, you know, they, they can mix it up in combat as well. So something like Austin, you know, Austin Wingfield's list, who I know you've had on uh, fairly recently, would be another interesting matchup. But... Yeah, I don't know. I generally chaos in general. It's I hate to say it because it sounds like I'm being really like arrogant with it, but I think it's a tough matchup. They're in a tough spot against Grey Knights. Yeah, <laughs> if there was an army designed to be chaos in the history of 40k, it is right now Grey Knights versus yeah. Chaos. Yeah. Also, uh, I, I suppose that is their shtick, but it's a little too much for a competitive game, in my opinion. Mm. I I would just point out if if there is terrain to play with, um. Paladins trump knights pretty hard. Yeah, and that right. is literally what happened. Actually, it was the yeah. terrain that really favored me. Um, let's, let's go into that matchup since we're here already. Let's, yeah, uh, sure. What so, the, matter? What is the purpose here? So basically, uh, we we had your traditional ITC setup. It was mission one, um, and uh, he was rolling with uh, Thousand Sun Supreme commands. He had uh, three Chaos Knights, uh, Infernal Households, uh, and then a bunch of cultists for screening, and. Uh, Ultimately, it just came down to, yeah, I was able to hide against the Knights um, for the first couple of turns really, really quite easily, actually, almost frighteningly too easily. Uh, and with a combination of Astrolane uh, and then a bit of um, Tracer Fire from one of my characters, I could use the Bring It Down stratagem um, or Bring Down the Beast stratagem, which gave me those reroll wounds. So that was one of those instances uh, where the Psy Cannons, having that, that strength nine, because I was in the Tide of... Um, convergence was really really useful i did a lot of damage to his knight with all of the psychan and fire um and then when my second turn came in i'd removed his cultist screening that particular night and i was able to finish it off with smites quite handily once i'd gotten i'd maxed out my titan slayers at that point right so once i'd gotten that and i'd held um the um i'd got i pipped him on the primary because he had failed to kill um anything in his first turn um i would got the lead and then i was just basically able to play very cagely and sort of <laughs> you know hide and run around and uh, stay out of line of sight of the other two knights um and ultimately just beat him in in the points yeah i think a, a really important part about that matchup is that 
Chaos Knights don't really have auto line of sight shooting that bothers Paladins at all. Exactly. And so you give them the you give them a choice. You can be like, well, if you want to come and try and stop me, but if you do the math, when a knight stomps into Paladins, it kills it's one or good. two. Yeah, yeah, and good. then the Paladins just kill the knight. Yeah. So, um, it's one of those things where like they don't really have any good options to engage with you if you have terrain. Right. Right. Exactly right. Interesting. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about another powerhouse army. Uh, how about Eldar? I was thinking, I Eldar. guess most Eldar builds these days can be split up into two variations. Uh, the first being like flying vehicles, whether it's flyer spam per se, or just like three spinners, three fire prisms, three yeah. plane, that kind of thing. Yeah. And the other would be something like an assault based army with like seer councils and shining spears, skywinders, mm. that kind of stuff. So yeah. how do you approach both of those matches? Well, that, that's, I would really, really, really like to play the assault variant because um, that's that's just an interesting build to me anyway. Uh, I've not played the Seer Council build yet um, at all, uh, but that aside, the fact other than the fact that I can potentially shut his psychic down, which would be a real problem for him, <laughs> you know, um, right. yeah, because he wouldn't like me to deny those powers. <laughs> you know, um, that aside. Uh, I did play your traditional uh, flyer mech spam. Uh, now, he wasn't running the flyer variant. He was running the grav tank variants, and he did do the custom craft world so that he was, uh, you know, Master Artisans was re-rolling a, a single hit, a single wound. Um, and he did have his three fire prisms, his three pr uh, night spinners. Um, ultimately, he couldn't do enough damage against the forwards paladin unit um, that I would present him because with my minus one damage strat, um, even things like the pulse lasers, they're not killing a paladin outright anymore. So it's it's, it's pretty significant. And uh, he's having to put his entire army into this one paladin blob. And obviously, depending on how well I do with my sanctuary saves or and or if I deny his jinx power, which is one usually pretty clutch for them because they go, right, well, minus one to, to your save. But if I deny that, which I've got as, you know assets at my uh, disposal to help me deny that power as well, such as rolling 3d6 and picking the highest, etc. Um, it becomes really, really tricky for them. So whilst, weirdly, I, I struggle at range to deal with multiple vehicles, what I found in that particular matchup is when I gated my unit forward, I took the center of the board, and he's obviously terrified to come near me with those vehicles because he doesn't, and, and come right. near the objectives, because he doesn't want me to charge him, right? But it becomes this thing where, I'm killing more and he's struggling to kill one. And so it has to, it has to, like something has to give. He has to come out at a certain point and start trying to take primary objectives, by which point I counter charge him. Um, and as it turned out in my turn two, because he had to come out on those objectives, I just came in with the six strike squads. I was able to smite, handily smite uh, one of the vehicles off of an objective. And then with the Paladin blob, I'm able to charge the other two tanks, which are trying to hold on to an objective, and you destroyed those. And all of a sudden, just destroying three tanks in turn two, it, 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 he started to really lose. Um, he didn't have enough uh, res resources left to deal with the second Paladin bomb on top of that. So again, in the end, it was I, I win the war of attrition there. Yeah, I guess it's it's you because you put him on a on pressure, so he has to basically act to, to win the game in the first place. It gets right. and and ends up being worse for him. So essentially, you can kill one tank a turn pretty reliably. Yeah, which means he he can't kill keep up with you on kills. Now he's just getting dominated in the primary. You got hold hold more kill kill more. He's just only got hold. Let's say exactly. so he has to come do something about that. And when he tries to fight you, it's a losing battle anyway. So 
Exactly, you got it, Nick. And and I think it, whilst I didn't play like a six or nine flyer list, I think actually in a weird way, that would be an even better matchup for me because he's got even less on the ground to take objectives, to hold objectives. And I don't have to rely so much on the shooting when I'm getting the auto-hitting smites off. So yeah. it becomes it becomes a smite where you can kill two planes a turn through smite. Yeah, so it's 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 crazy how well it works. Um, it really is, especially against because I've traditionally played a lot of Elder and like I know how nasty that list can be. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, weirdly, I'm kind of confident. Having said that, I haven't obviously played the Seer Council variant yet, so I'll, I'll reserve my judgment there. Fair well, enough. I mean, I'll also point out that uh, Strength Six Stormbolters that are two damage. Ignoring hit modifiers also clean up a lot of planes really fast. Right? You got it. So, <laughs> yeah, they sure do. That, I mean, those are tools we just didn't have before. Right. <laughs> so. right. um, awesome. So I guess let's hop over to the big bully in the room, the Space Marine faction. Um, there's a lot to talk about here, as always. Yeah. Um, how do you... Let, let's break it down into Iron Hands, Imperial Fist, and Raven Guard. I think those are the big three. Yeah. So however you want to start, how do you approach each of those matches? Yeah, sure. Uh, look, this is, this is uh, as you say, is the big bully in the room. Um, I was uh, fortunate enough, or perhaps you could say unfortunate enough, to face one of those bullies uh, <laughs> at the tournament, uh, and it was the Raven Guard variant. So it was uh, 16 cent- centurions he was running, uh, 16 or 17. And um, he also had, of course, the Thunderfire Cannon support and the Whirlwind support, you know, your traditional uh, assets, uh, as well as the Chaplain, Chapter Master, um, some scouts for uh, screening and to uh, hold hold objectives in ITC to sort of hide, hide one out of line of sight, etc. Um, interesting matchup. Very, very close game. Like There's only two points in it uh, in the end. Um, I did manage to win. There are a couple of reasons uh, why that happened. He had a couple of clutch rolls, which he, he missed. You know, he was unlucky at a couple of key points. But ultimately, it was an interesting matchup because he's very resilient with those Centurions traditionally. Very, very resilient. Um, and a lot of firepower does bounce off of them. Not all, but a lot of it does, especially the small arms fire, given their, their save. Um, but those mortal wounds via the smites and the fact that that sort of style list with all of those Centurions tends to be quite troops-like. So they don't have a tremendous amount of screening because they're just relying on these three sledgehammer centurion units just coming in and destroying everything, right? <laughs> you know. Um, so what happened is uh, I've removed all of his troops basically in the first turn. I was very, very keen to take away his scoring uh, facility, if you like. Um, I noticed yeah. that's like a trend that you do in a lot of your games is focus on their their scoring capabilities and then basically just dominate the mission from there. Absolutely. That, that's how, I mean, that's, that's personally how I play. Um, it, it, it's worked so far. Um, but my idea has always been, right, if I take away their potential to score, even if it's not to kill, you know, like if I just stop them scoring for a couple of turns and I score enough points in my first couple of turns so that they're having to fight an uphill stru- uh, battle for the rest of the game, that's usually what, how I sort of uh, try, that's my strategy, if you like. Um, so what I did is I removed all of his scoring units. So he didn't have any um, scouts parked on the objective, just silently scoring all game. I removed them, combination of Astrolane Fire and um, Edict Imperator to get another unit into range. Uh, and that exposed his artillery art elements, which were, of course, the Whirlwinds and the Thunderfire Cannons. As it turned out in that first turn, I also managed to get off a charge 
um, against uh, some of those assets. Because again, remember with Edict Imperator, I can shoot in the psychic phase, right? So I can remove one of the screening units in the psychic phase and then gate the other unit up closer than it would have been able to otherwise in the same psychic phase. So then I was suddenly going to be within a nine inch charge of say the th two Thunderfire cannons as opposed to, because I've removed the scouts in the psychic phase already now. So uh, really, really nasty little tricks that you can use to help get your um, your deep striking paladin units uh, there closer to the enemy um, more reliably. Uh, and yeah, when I got that charge off, basically he's got a, a big unit of paladins in his artillery lines now. Uh, and obviously his centurions will come in and try and retaliate, but it's another interesting thing. Whilst a couple of units of centurions absolutely do kill, a paladin bomb they absolutely do it's pretty tricky because when you've got that minus one to wound on um power with armored resilience they don't they really hate even despite being in tactical doctrine those flamers and hurricane bolters do not like being strength four anymore let me tell you because all of a yeah. sudden they're only wounded on fives it's a big big difference really close down <laughs> yeah you know uh, basically just the combat that really worries you yes i mean dealing with Two up armor, one upping. Oh, they're gonna sense ignore cover, but you know, dealing with two up armor, winning on fives. Yeah, the whole unit could shoot, and you probably lose two paladins, maybe. Yeah, if that, which is crazy, right? Um, yeah. And then again, if they do get the charge off, which he did in one instance, again, I can pop that two CP stratagem and go, well, I'm going to attack you even when I die. Um, you know, and whilst the halberds, if I've got hammer hand off. Okay, I am wounding all of a sudden on threes again, which is great with hammer hands, because uh, the halberds give you effectively strength five. Uh, they are only minus two, so he's still got a pretty good save. But the fact that I'm damaged D three, I only need to get you know ten or so through, and I can start to pick up a few centurions in combat as well, um, which is really really useful. Really really useful. Yeah, for sure. Now, do you think that that matches a little bit, kind of like your match versus the possessed, and that? You had two queens and the possessed are only one, yes. but this is the opposite, like yeah, a three. Assault unit Raven Guard list has three queens and you only have two. Yeah, which is which is huge, right? Um, I think the reason why I ultimately prevailed is because of the way I attacked the mission. Because I stopped, because he's reserved all three of these Centurion units at this point. He didn't get first turn, so he's not flung one towards me. Um, so what he did is he went, right, well, I'll just deep strike them in turn two. The fact that I removed his scoring ability for the first turn um, and then I, I killed more in turn one, and then I held more in turn one, and then turn two, my turn two comes around, I kill more again, and I end up holding more again, because his, his centurions end up putting all of their resources into my paladins. I just scored so much in the first two turns that he was just on the back foot for the rest of the game trying to catch my score, um, and, and that's ultimately what won it for me. What would have been interesting is if he had gone first. This is one of those matchups where maybe if he had gone first, had flung forward a unit of Centurions uh, and put all of that fire into one of my Paladin bombs turn one, maybe I wouldn't have had the resilience going forward because I would have lost one of my assets before the game began, if you see what I mean. Don't know. I'd love to play it again and give him first turn and see what happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> For sure. Um, Do you think the character sniping capabilities of the Raven Guard also throw a wrench into this match? It didn't. It, it didn't really come up. Um, it, it. I think it does. I think it can, but I think it's a different sort of a build. I think that build might maybe only has two Centurion squads, and then they've got more units invested. You know, like things like Eliminators and stuff, which he didn't have in his particular list. Um, Brad Chester's list is a baseline from LVO. He was just on our Art of War episode uh, yeah. this past week. But anyways, 
to give you a refresher, he basically had two assault centurion squads, one devastator centurion squad. Mm. And the difference there is that he had 20 sniper scouts and the ex tenebrous guy all arriving from deep strike with Lias Isidon. So, yes, they should turn to and tactical and characters go poof. Yeah, see, I like that. See, I think I prefer that build, and I think I that too. would, yeah, absolutely. I think because that would now cause a problem now luckily a lot of, all, all my characters are obviously you know terminator armor and they're generally pretty tough but you know if he's getting enough of those mortal wounds through you know that's a bad day for me so <laughs> uh, that could absolutely be a spanner in the works could be another interesting game to play for sure yeah i think as long as you keep voldus alive you're probably good um, yeah yeah i think he's kind of a linchpin right he is yeah and him and the uh the um librarian who has warp shaping uh and the sanctic shards between the two of them yeah they are linchpins but it's again it's how how many characters can he kill in that turn because is, is it just the one if it's one i could probably wear that if he starts killing t- if he could kill two or three which i don't think he could definitely not three he might kill two he might end up on how crazy exactly. scouts get on mortals right exactly you know you've got always got that, that weird chaos factor there but um yeah if he killed one i would be okay with that two i'd start sweating a little bit (laughs) um so yeah it'd be an interesting matchup uh but let's switch it over to imperial fists and your your iron your iron hands um let's do fists they're they're fairly easy i'm just thinking boatloads of artillery over here and whatever else you want to toss into it maybe the intercessor heavy build or maybe something more like any chimas who just decided to run more and more artillery exactly yeah i mean look weirdly uh and obviously again you know don't that please don't assume i'm saying that this is uh we've got the advantage here with gray knights but weirdly we don't play we don't give the imperial fists any of their advantages because we don't run any vehicles for a start so that's already a benefit um we tend not to rely on the cover because ultimately we've got a two plus save anyway so that's mm-hmm. really good uh and i find with that minus one damage damage stratagem that we have in richard of the damned that a lot of that artillery bounces it actually bounces off the paladins it's not as scary as it is against uh, a lot of different armies um and because they invest so much in artillery their screen tends to not be as deep uh, as other armies and the primaries who are usually really relying on their two i've got two wounds and i've got you know a great save i'm sitting in cover you know they do fall to those two damage smites so my turn two tends to be very very good against them um i haven't in my testing with uh, against imperial fists it's it's always gone well iron hands are quite interesting however because <laughs> of, of the character of leviathan and everything that he's a tough one he's a tough one it, it ultimately in a way it's sort of similar to the imperial fists it's how quickly can you get through the intercessor screen um and and get to you know all of the uh the the, the, the brothers and the chaplains and everything um it's not a matchup i've done yet but as I did say uh, in the previous show, that matchup, that very matchup, is happening in a battle report on the channel. I'm playing, I'm playing it, uh, and it will be released very, very soon. So I'm playing Vic. So hopefully, uh, we'll see. Definitely how check that out, guys. I'm sure that'll be awesome to to learn from and much more visual than our podcast and mm. more accurate. But um, what are your plans going into it? How do you think the match goes? Um, I think if I can, I don't, I don't think I need first turn because ultimately I, I can hide a lot of my stuff. And if he does have the artillery element, you know, I'm confident enough that my paladins can, can weather that. So that's not a problem. Uh, I think it's all about the turn two for me. I would probably play quite cagely for the first turn and continue to, to hide a lot of stuff out of line of sight. And then turn two, 
uh, and just use Astrolane to sort of hammer away at his, in, at his uh, intercessor screen. And in turn two, hopefully I've exposed enough angles to come in and with uh, a combination of Edict Imperator to shoot off uh, another element of the screen if they're still screening uh, elements for uh, his Leviathan and all of the characters that are all grouped up. Um, then hopefully I've exposed that nut to all of the smites because I think the minute those smites start coming through, um, his battle plan could start to fall apart. I think what you're not I'm, concerned with the, the five up female pain just slowing it down. I think it, well, that's the thing. It might, Nick. It, it really might. But the fact of the matter is, at least he's not got all of the other layered saves that he otherwise would. I think the right. mortal wounds are pretty massive against the Iron Hands because I am taking out an entire layer of saves that they would otherwise have. Um, yeah, I've played Thousand Sons a few times as the Iron Hands, and usually they smite less than you do, yeah. which is great. Uh, but usually all their smites combined kill a five-man unit through the Funeral Pain and then a tiny bit more. Yeah, yeah. So I'd imagine you could probably kill a unit and a half solidly with your smites, is my guess. Right. Thinking, of, thinking about that Broviathan blob, yeah. I'm just dream, dreaming about the biggest vortex ever. Yeah, exactly. Well, and three of my strike squads have vortex. I've really played around the vortex, so I don't want to put too much stock into that by just putting one unit as the one that's going to catch the stuff um, 3.1 inches forward. Yeah, but true. Yeah. But um, I mean, a lot of times you can kill enough of that unit to get the vortex off on something well, else. Also, I didn't even think of this. You have this, the psychic power to shoot that unit out in the Correct. shooting phase, psychic yeah. phase and then get the vortex off. That's exactly. a great point. Exactly, and that's what I, I actually did that in, in one of my matchups where I used the Edict Imperator to shoot in the psychic phase and then I actually did get a vortex off with one of the strike squads that had come down. So I set it up perfectly. So that's the thing. That's what's really fun about the Grey Knights as well is – with clever play, you can get really rewarded and really punish like a, a, an opponent's uh, deployment if, if if you set it up right, which is which is cool. So you've always got like that element of um, it being quite cerebral um, to play with. Also, yeah. you can you can juice up that vortex, right? You can give what plus two to the yep. cast. Yep. And then can you roll three d six and take the high two or something? You sure can. Right. <laughs> you sure so can. you can. Yeah. You can go for that D6 Vortex if you want. Yeah, um, the, the odds aren't that bad of getting it once you start right. adding all of the layers on. Yeah, so, no, that, that could be game-breaking, actually. Because I was thinking, my my plan, the 3.1-inch thing I was talking about, is basically how I handle Chaos players who take Infernal Gateway, especially mm -hmm. with Cult of Magic. Yeah. But the fact that you can shoot in that shooting phase and just erase that squad off the get-go, yeah. that's really bad. It's <laughs> yeah. Huge. yeah, it's absolutely huge. And again, this is why I like the Psy Cannons because they're i really like them against um intercessors i know that the silencers have d3 plus one damage but that minus that they don't have that base modifier and i want to try and start denting that armor save that intercessors have as soon as possible and then the fact that my psy cannons in tide of uh, convergence they're wounding um primaris intercessors on twos which is really really useful you know i want those sort of guaranteed wounds through so now take your save or you die because it's damaged too for every save you fail so it's really effective at removing some of those intercessor screens right and then you can uh, play sideball down ammunition too like so exactly. i think would you say your strategy overall is to invest a bunch of cp on turn two and just do as much damage as you can to that big old yeah. blob of stuff yeah but you know what weirdly even in turn one because i i could easily spend four cp in turn one because the plan would be right your rear into your rear um paladin squad you cyber i know them and edict imperator them so you've got your 24 inch strength six you know uh storm bolters 
for every save that the Marines fail, that's a dead intercessor because it's damaged too, right? And then your forward unit with the side cannons, you've got your 16 strength, nine, you know, potentially minus three, depending on what your litany is doing, shots, which are also damaged too. If I can clear as much of that screen turn one, it sets up my turn two to be really, really interesting. But um, obviously, if he's, if he's smart, he could deploy out of range to make sure that um, I, he'll only take five from the one Paladin unit that's gated up. So it, I think it could be a very cagey first turn, uh, realistically, against a good Iron Hands player. Uh, and then you sort of try and finish off the screen turn two, if possible. I think you want them to go first. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Give them the first turn to just to you know so that they waste their firepower really because you're you're trying to hide from them, of course. I mean, I know yeah. we're talking about a specific list. We could go more into general Iron Hands, but uh, like the Proviathan list doesn't really have that much out of line of sight shooting. And no. I mean, out of line of sight eliminators in the Paladins, you really don't care about. Like exactly. you just don't care at all about it. No, I don't. And and then the other thing is which would be remiss of us to not mention, obviously the chaplains, like Siegler ran the power fists on the chaplains, right? Uh, the chaplain dreads, because then they were they were fantastic sort of anti um, you know combat deterrents. If anyone wanted to come near that castle, he'd just run out with the chaplains and smash one in the face. <laughs> you know. But the fact of the matter is that I'm really good in combat, and again, I can pop that strat and uh, fight even if I'm killed anyway. So I've kind of got like a. A, a pretty wide uh, toolkit, if you like, uh, able to have an answer for the most situations. Whether that will actually work in the game that we're going to film, we'll have to see. <laughs> you know, this is all theory hammer now, but uh, I feel I feel semi confident. Just do me a favor and get that D6 vortex off, so I could live through you for. I watch that video. Like, <laughs> I just want to live that dream through you. Okay, because <laughs> that's what every Grey Knight player dreams about, right? It's getting yeah, off really. the big vortex. It's like true. Playing a way around this. This is not good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah Nick's like he's thinking overtime here. That's good. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I mean, just like you said, that shooting shooting in the psychic phase allows you so many options. It does. It really does. Uh, it really, really does. I, really I have another question for you about uh, a different approach to handling your Grey Knight army. I want to. Just curious to see how you would handle it. Sure. Something like a Blood Angel list with like incredibly badass characters, mm. 10 million attacks, flat damage three everywhere, mm. all that stuff. And they have the options to, of course, fight when they die or fight twice. Yep. They can trade up well above their weight class. So a, a, just a Smash Captain, for example, can go into your Paladin unit between fighting when he dies or fighting twice or both if things go awry for you. Um, he can trade for almost the entire squad by himself. And they have like four or five of those guys in certain blood angelists how do you handle that because you can't really smite them off the table you can't shoot them off the table no you really just have to eat it yeah you're right and and that's actually one of the matchups which i would find really interesting um so i i it's a it's a problem because like if you look at some of these newer blood angels lists which might even be running as many as three sanguinary guard blobs plus your smash captain uh supports um, all of a sudden, it becomes a bit like you said, Nick, earlier when I played the Raven Guards, you know, like he's, he had three queens, whereas I only had two, you know, and the Sanguinary Guard, in many respects, can do a lot of the tricks that, that I do, you know, fight when you die, etc. Um, so I don't know how that would go. Uh, I do feel that obviously, if he did start getting those charges off, I could pop my strat to... Um, to fight when I die and then kill them in return. But he would probably outlast me because he's got, you know, maybe two other um, Paladin, um, two other Sanguinary bombs, uh, and he might have, you know, two Smash Captains left on top of that. At right, this right. Point, I was thinking, 
like of, of what ways could counter the granite army off the top of my head. And you can't really beat it by taking dudes because you can no. shoot dudes with any infinite storm boulders. You can't really beat it by taking quality stuff because you have 4 billion smites. Exactly. So it's this like suicidal missiles that can trade up is what I'm thinking. Yeah. It's, and I think that, I think you're absolutely right. It will become this thing where you sort of run at each other and uh, you head, headbutt each other and try and you, there will be a few double KOs, but eventually one person's going to have, just enough resources left to edge the other. Um, I think the turn two would be fairly critical uh, where he's placed on the board and then where my strike marines come in because those two mortal wound smites will do a number on on the sanguinary guard. Would that be a game where you actually consider deploying your strike marines yes. so that they can actually be a screen? Yes, it would. Uh, and it would also, even if I just had a paladin unit forward as a screen, uh, and I kept the strike marines uh, at the very back, because don't forget I've got that 24-inch range smite, with the brother captain um and then i could just layer up all of the smites uh my turn one assuming that he's 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 run at me turn one it's a tough one though i that's a really interesting matchup nick i mean we're so, not gonna play it what do you what do you guys think in that matchup combat squatting the paladin squads to make them <laughs> make them trade make it less they can't trade for 10 make it so they have to trade for five now you get less out of your buffs which mm. is and i don't know if the cost the opportunity cost is too great but it's something worth discussing right maybe thinking about uh, do you know what i think actually that's an instance where you probably do combat squad them and i tell you why whilst the buffs won't be as good let's face it if a sanguinary guard charges the paladin squad and even if it's buffed up they've got a high chance of of, of still wiping them or damaging them so badly that their, their punch back is not going to be that significant anymore. So you might be better off just going, I want extra smites. <laughs> you know, I want these extra paladin squads to be able to do more smites because that's the thing which the Blood Angels will not like because you will you will be kicking out those mortal wounds against those sanguinary guards. Right, um, right. And same with the smash captains. You know, once he's in, he's going to be exposed to smite in the subsequent turn. And it's also, if a sanguinary guard unit is going to kill five paladins the same way it kills eight paladins let's say yeah just lose five you know it's yeah. better for you exactly exactly that's what that's what i'm trying to think here so uh john i think you've hit the nail on the head i think i probably would combat squad in that situation the the paladins pre-game also just thinking about that matchup i think that's a matchup you want to go second yeah. and you want to try and deep strike like i don't know we talked about maybe deploying your strikes but maybe even deep strike deep striking your strikes for the turn after the guard comes in yes um right so you know it depends on how he comes in piecemeal like there's a lot of back and forth in that game but i think the last person to deep strike their stuff in probably has an advantage yeah i i, I completely game. agree especially in the case of the the strike marines because it's really then about the placement of those smites against his his alpha units right his sanguinary guard and or captains um and in theory, he won't be screening them at this point because any any uh, vestige of scouts should be dead, especially with my play style because I try and remove all their scoring units first, right? So um, just to open up my smites, of course. So I, yeah, interesting matchup. I don't know who has the advantage in that. I suspect the Blood Angel player probably has a slight advantage, but yeah. that is a to me that's a play skill game. That is a cagey yeah. game. It is it's a cagey. <laughs> I love yeah. games like that. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting match. I was just thinking aloud there. Yeah. Um, is there any matchups? I don't know. Like, I guess we kind of answered that. It's matchups that can be trouble. But I guess Grand Angel is such a well-rounded army. Mm. It's kind of 
a thing you haven't said in like five, six years, but um, yeah, they don't really have bad matchups. They do have a lot of tools for every job if you know how to use them all, which is really awesome. Yeah. Uh, I guess let's cover Tau. Do you think new Tau, if you're familiar with what they do, uh, is a could be a tough one for I, you? I am. I'm very familiar with Tau. So uh, one of the players on my channel, Bone, he, he that's pretty much his his competitive army. Um, when he plays competitively, he runs Tau. Uh, he's really excited about the new Farsight stuff. Um, and obviously he's very familiar with and has run, you know, your, your Triptide Castle with uh, all of the shield drones in the world. Um, it's, it's an interesting one because I've literally just filmed that game uh, and it's a very, very close game. Now, I made a couple of mistakes in that game and probably made it a lot harder for me than it should no, have been. Mistakes, like you weren't sure how to approach the game? Exactly. Or... I wasn't sure how to approach the game. Um, let's talk about those like what did you try and how did it not work and why well okay, okay perfect so what ended up happening was um i won't i won't give away who won just in case they're an on-demand subscriber and you want to check it but I'll, I'll i'll say a couple of mistakes that i made right off the bat normally when i play tau i immediately go for this their fire warriors and their drones and my philosophy always is shoot what you can kill you know like i worry about the stuff which i can't get to such as riptides or you know commanders later um now what i did in this game however with my gating um, paladin squad is he had a little gap in his lines on turn two where basically there was only six fire warriors um and about i think it was about five shield drones within range of one of his riptides and so i did my classic i used edict imperator to fire in the psychic phase to remove that screen uh, and then i used smites on this riptide i opened up the riptide and uh i put all of my strike squads down to remove this riptide uh now at the time i thought this is a good idea yeah that's good i like this this is a great idea but what i did was a massive mistake because he still had loads of drones and loads of fire warriors left ready to now layer up for the subsequent um three the next three turns of the game in front of his other two um, Riptides and Commanders. And so he could just take a step back and he's got layer upon layer upon layer because I hadn't removed that screen fast enough. Um, I, I decided to go, oh, I've, he's got a gap here. I'll kill a Riptide. That's a good idea. But actually it was a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it's one of those things that you learn in, in certain matchups uh, with an army. Just it's something I, I teach on my Art of War podcast and uh, well, this podcast and on my Art of War classes in the war room and all that mm. is if you have a strategy don't break your strategy wide open to capitalize on your opponent's mistake. Just stick to your strategy if it's a winning strategy. Right, you know? right. So right there, you perfect example. Your opponent made a what you considered to be an error, left a riptide exposed. Yeah. You abandoned ship from killing the drones, which is your normal go-to tried and true strategy. Yeah. Went for the killer riptide. Clearly didn't work. Yeah, and then, exactly. Uh, well, I just yeah. allowed him to have a, a, a basically a deep screen for the next three turns, which meant all of my smites were just hitting you know, the, this chaff, which yeah, is a bad no. look. You it know, doesn't matter. I should have, what I should have done. Pain, it's even worse. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, what, what I should have done is put all of my, my strike squads nine inches away um, from all, all around his screen and then did all of that rapid fire goodness. But instead, I'd put them all back by my characters. They were smiting at 24 inch range and they were only doing two shots long range with the storm bolters in the next turn. It was a terrible play. It was like it was like a terrible play, and I knew it the minute the turn had finished, and I said it because we were running it as a tactical report. So, like, I, it's where I do coaching as well. And I was like, right, if you're a Grey Knight fan and you want to know how to play Grey Knights well, 
make sure you don't do what I just did. <laughs> you know? That's funny. Question, uh, Lawrence. Yeah, go so for it. in the in the town matchup, are you looking to drop your strikes on two and hit really hard, or would you play a little slower game, do a lot of more out of line of sight shooting into drones, sort of wear them down a little bit? Because SMS doesn't bother. It just really doesn't bother Paladins oh, yeah, and cover all that much, right? Yeah, so. no, exactly. No, I, I was too eager um, in that game. And so to, to summarize now, my strategy against something like Tau would be absolutely remove the drones. It takes as long as it takes. You know, I, I can wear the Riptides firing at me. I can hide. I can Astrolane. You know, as you say, the SMS doesn't really hurt me. And the burst cannons being only damaged two, if I've got one Paladin unit in line of sight, I'll just pop the strat for minus one damage. And even the burst cannon that bounces on paladins, it's not that scary. So you're like, no. cool, man. Wrong <laughs> way, also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's um, I, I'll play uh, basically the game uh, as casually as I can until that screen is removed. Then you pop in your strike squads, or you use your strike squads to finish off the screen if you're confident you can to set up all of the smites uh, against those uh, those those rich targets in the subsequent turns. Also, that uh, that cover tide. What is it? Uh, Shadows. Uh, yeah, probably it's, really good in that particular matchup. Yeah, Tau hate it. They absolutely. They just do not like modifiers. You put a minus one to hit on something with Tau, and they absolutely hate you. But I mean, Nick, you were saying like, given the new Farsight um, uh, potential buffs, you know, I know that people are even throwing around the idea of doing big crisis suit bombs. Right. Um, I know Richard Siegler my roommate now he's very excited about the new rules we haven't got a chance to play a game yet yeah but uh he he's got so many different ideas he just wrote a giant article about it uh on the art of war website so awesome take that a look at that if you guys haven't seen it yeah awesome i no, definitely will um so yeah look that that's a that's a bit of an unknown quantity i actually think the tau are suddenly very interesting again because they've become what i would call like your sort of static castle army just kind of try and take the center of the board to now actually being they could be potentially very dynamic uh, and having that ability to deep strike something in with with that rate of firepower could be quite nasty i remember so one of the games we were looking forward to playing on our, our twitch channel in art of war is uh i'm going to be playing oryx and he's going to be playing new farsight stuff mm. and I was like, do you think this will be a good game? Like, do you think it, like the matchup is lopsided one way or the other? He's like, well, I think it'll be good because I'm planning on charging you. And he said this on a straight <laughs> face. I'm like, I'm, really, I'm missing the picture here. I have no idea what's going yeah, on. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's 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 crazy. But uh, no, I'm really pleased for uh, for Tau players because I think they've got some some potentially very new ways of playing the army, uh, which is cool. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. So, John, I don't have any other matchup questions for Lawrence unless you have any you want to ask. I do want to ask um, a, just just a general question because we didn't really get into these in specific matchups, but can you take a moment, talk about some of the Grey Knight um, relics? Sure. And then uh, some of the key psychic powers, right? So I know we've talked about them throughout our discussions. Yeah. I, I guess think, with context to matchups, is there any specific relic or power that you swap into for a specific matchup? Yeah, no, I'm that, no, that's a very good question. Um, actually, <laughs> it's probably a bit quite funny. There isn't. Uh, I tend to take the same powers every time, but the relics are a very important thing. Uh, and actually, uh, I've changed my list now um, <laughs> since, uh, since that GT. I've, I, what I've ended up doing is dropping the chaplain um, and replacing him with another librarian because the, the relic that I was taking was the Sanctic Shard, which is 
is basically an auto take, in my opinion. Uh, that gives you uh, a plus one to cast, uh, and it allows you to reroll failed psychic tests, which is obviously really, really good. So you put that on your uh, librarian with, who's got warp shaping so that you can pretty much guarantee that you can change your tide when you need to. Uh, and you also give him the uh, command points, Imperium Domination, because that psychic power, whilst I haven't mentioned it yet, is another clutch one. To be able to just regenerate a command point every psychic phase is pretty massive, right? Um, so I put that uh, both those powers on the librarian with Sanctic Shard. But what I found was a major, major, major issue was perils. Because it comes up, guys. You know, when you're casting that many psychic powers, the double ones and the double sixes, they come up. Um, and if you, if they come up on a character which is already perils before or has been wounded and then he blows up and you've got, you know, all of your characters next to each other, that's not a good look. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what I decided to do is the chaplain was awesome. He was awesome. But the litany is, you know, it's not quite reliable enough for me to take him every time um, because, you know, it's, it's, it's all too easy to roll that one and two and, and then the litany's not gone off. You don't have your additional minus or you're not ignoring the modifiers to hit. Uh, what I wanted was something which would basically guarantee that I wouldn't have to be spending CP every psychic phase to ignore apparels. Uh, and they've got a very, very cool relic called the Artisan Nullifier Matrix. Now, only a librarian can take it. But what it does is, once per turn, when a psychic test is taken for a friendly Grey Knights unit within six inches, so it's really cool because this is an aura as well, it's not just on the cat, the bearer, you can increase or decrease by one the value shown on one of the dice. That is absolutely huge. It's absolutely huge. It will say, because like the amount of CP I spent on trying to stop perils was ludicrous, <laughs> you know. Uh, I think that that will go further for me, not to mention the fact that then I've got uh, an additional power that I can cast because it's another librarian, whereas the chaplain could only cast one power. Um, and then the beauty is it frees up the exact points for a thunder hammer, which I can then whack on my captain, and it's 2,000 points on the nose again, which is just, for me, is perfection. Gotcha. So, uh, well, that's actually really cool. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. Because uh, that also, if you if your plan is to get that big vortex off it's another plus one so i'm yep. i'm all in yep exactly it's it, it's <laughs> i think anything where you can manipulate the, the the value on the die like that in an aura it like that's just it's just such a powerful asset to have it's so clutch if you are trying to get that vortex off as you said you know and you're 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 on a 10 but you just want that 11 you go yep great pop <laughs> you know it's it's just too good to not have so look i might i might regret I might, uh, I, I, I might miss the chaplain in the end, but I don't think I will. Um, I, because that litany, you know, it's just not reliable enough for me. Despite how powerful the buff is, it's just not reliable enough for me. One of the things I really like um, Apothecaries for is to clean up perils. Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's, that's kind of like, a lot of people are like, oh, they're great for keeping paladins alive, which they are. Yeah. Uh, but more often than not, I'm like positioning my apothecary to clean up the perils I just had. Yeah. Uh, my apothecary was doing that, yeah, pretty much every yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Is there any other relics that uh, you think are worth mentioning? Probably the only other relic I would I would say is worth mentioning is the Orgarium Scrolls. And I know that Nick touched in this in, in the first show that we did. He was like, why why don't you have like a, a, a banner bearer? Why don't you have an ancient? Like, Lawrence, what is wrong with you? And if you're going to put Orgarium Scrolls on anyone, it would probably be him because uh, it gives you... Um, 
it's uh, a six inch aura uh, and it's an unmodified hit roll of six scores one additional hit for nemesis weapons and given the fact that the banner then of course gives you plus one attack as well um it makes sense that you're going to whack him next to a paladin squad and that's just a disgusting amount of attacks with potentially extra hits uh but to answer two questions in one there the other reason i didn't take the the uh, ancient is because of the way that i start both the paladin bombs on the boards uh and i don't have space to deep strike in another unit unless i started a strike squad on the board which i i've already explained why i won't want to do i don't want to do that because it's like an easy kill usually for my opponent um I just don't have space for him to be delivered because the gate gate turn one is on one paladin bomb and then gate turn two is on another paladin bomb. And at this point, the, the, the ancient will still be, you know, back home with the rest of my characters, which isn't going to work. So that's, that's, is a consideration, but I'd have to jig, rejig the list to sort of deliver him and then deliver that relic with him uh, in an effective way. Interesting. Yeah. That makes total sense to me. Um, any consideration to the relic banner? I mean, that's one of my favorites. But yeah, well, that used to be the go-to with the uh, the ancient, right? But um, I find that despite it being a D six mortal wounds, which don't get me wrong, is fantastic. You kind of it's going to sound like really crass, but you kind of don't need it anymore because you've got so many just damage two smites that uh, I would spend that relic slot on on something else like the sanctic shard and artisan nullifier matrix. Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, would you give any consideration to the Argorium Scrolls in that like possessed bomb matchup, where you know you're going to trade a Paladin unit uh, oh, just to sure. give them an, an extra attack? On because I mean, I, I assume that goes off even when they're attacking when they die, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. It's just unmodified hit roll of six is an additional hit. Look, there. It's an amazing relic. It's really good, and again, it stacks so beautifully with something like a uh, an ancient. But if you can't deliver the ancient, yeah. <laughs> You know, he'll be he'll be sitting back and not providing that buff. So unless I rejig the list, there is a way that you can do it, but it involves dropping Voldus. Uh, and it means that you do not have a Grandmaster. I am considering it because, as I've said, I use Ethereal Manipulations for my reroll all hits anyway on one of the units. But uh, we're, into, we're into dark territory there, guys. You're into yeah. very, very dark territory, dropping Voldus. <laughs> well, he's so good. He is very good. Not, o- not only does he like cast three th- time th- three things a turn, yeah, but he also is an absolute monster in combat. Yeah, he's brutal. So, he's brutal. Yeah. Flat damage three, no minus to hit. You can't argue with that, you know. Yeah. And then obviously providing the reroll ones to hit uh, aura as well. But yeah, if you wanted to do it, you you drop Voldus, then you'd get your ancient back in, um, and then you'd have some points to spare as well. So uh, there could be another interesting play, but. Remember, I still need, on top of that, another unit to ensure that I can deep strike that Ancients. And I don't yeah. think I've got enough points to do that. Yeah, it's right. like another Apothecary and something, right? Right. Which is like... It's always balancing access to Grey Knights. Yeah, for sure. It always is. Like, And points are kind of tricky. Uh, the only And I know we should have talked about this in the first episode, but it just occurred to me. I was going to ask if you had considered putting uh, a Demon Hammer on the Paladin Paragons. Yes, I had, you know, again, it's, it's a points, it's a points game. Like you just, cause they're expensive, man. The hammer's 13 points. Um, if you're going to put it on a a paladin unit, obviously you put it on the paragon because he hits on a two. So then it will be back up to a three. But, um, as it stands, I've only got points for one spare hammer in the new list and I've, I've decided to whack it on my captain. 
That's a good place for it. Another good place for it is apothecaries. Carry hammers really well. Yeah, exactly. Because for yeah. some reason, our apothecaries hit on two pluses too. Most people don't believe. I know that. it's crazy. I literally have to. <laughs> I have to show them every time I play that model. I have to show somebody new. Yeah. Like no, no. He's he's got a two plus weapon skill. Your apothecary <laughs> has a two plus weapon skill. Yes, that's why I put this hammer on him. <laughs> well, cool, Nick. Do you have any more questions, bud? No, I think we we covered. A lot of the new Grey Knight stuff. This is a really informative episode because I personally have only played new Grey Knights once and I didn't really know what was going on. I was getting shot and smited and it's like it's just a wave of guns and smites. So yeah. this helps me get some clarity on the subject and hopefully the listeners as well. Uh, yeah, Lawrence, you've been great. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. Is there any place that people can find you? Thank you. Well, it's been awesome uh, being on the show. Um, you can check out my YouTube channel. It's called Tabletop Tactics, or you can uh, find us on our website, tabletoptactics.tv. Uh, we produce lots of battle reports and uh, you know tactics videos, and uh, we all even do Dungeons and Dragons. So we kind of do a bit of everything if you're into that sort of thing. Rock on. Well, thank you, patrons, for supporting us and showing up for another episode of the Art of War podcast. We really, really appreciate it. I can't tell you enough how much Nick and I appreciate it. Um, we tell you every episode. We're going to continue to tell you every episode because it means a ton to us. It also allows us to do really cool stuff. So you'll see, as you've, uh, you've probably noticed, Art of War is growing like crazy, and there's more and more things coming on the horizon. So um, you know, keep keep supporting us, and we'll keep putting out really cool stuff for you. Uh, just as a quick aside, you know, normally we, we ask one thing of you and I'm going to ask something different this week. If you could do me a favor and if you haven't subscribed to tabletop tactics on YouTube, just go out there and hit the subscribe button, hit the notification button. Um, give these guys a little bit of love cause they're doing a ton for the community. And I mean, likely you already have, but that's what I'm going to ask for you for this week. All right, everyone have an amazing day and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the other one. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect. On Facebook, just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.